0: Let's turn in our Bibles today to the book of Hebrews. Here we are back to Hebrews chapter 6. Let us stand now for the reading of God's Word, if you will. And uh, in Hebrews chapter 6, we're going to finish up on verse 2 and 3 today. Here, listen now to the word of the Lord. Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ, let us press on to maturity not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would bless us as we think about your word today. We pray that you would use it mightily to... Establish us in these important doctrines that are basic, but so important for us to to think on and uh, to once again even revisit so that we might learn even more about them. Please, Lord, bless the meditations of my heart on this passage. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher as I seek to preach your word. So we pray for your enabling spirit now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. Please be seated. It is the case that all of us need to be grounded in the most basic principles of the Christian faith. The author of Hebrews calls them elementary teachings, okay, here. And so today we're continuing to look at what the apostle who was ministering to the Christians there in Jerusalem, that's where this church probably was, the Hebrew church was probably in Jerusalem, Uh, understood were the most basic doctrines of the faith. Again, it's always good for us, my friends, to go back to the basics and make sure that we have the basics right. You know, and it's always the case that we can learn, again, Even though we've learned the basics, we can learn again what we forgot since we slept last night. Um, Or learn even something new about the basics that we hadn't thought about before. That's how it works in my life. I don't care how basic it is. I still learn so much about these basic doctrines that we're looking at here. So I invite you today to think about these basic elements of the Christian faith with me and to let us refresh ourselves to them. They might be basic to some here who just need to learn them for the first time, and that's good. The apostle said in verse 1 here, therefore leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, and a faith towards God, he identifies two of those these basic elements of the Christian faith. First of all, he identifies repentance from dead works as the first element of the Christian faith. Actually, it was an elementary principle. Repentance. Did I want you to think about this, y'all? Repentance was an elementary uh, principle of both Judaism and Christianity. The Jews understood they had to repent, you see. Actually, it was an elementary principle, and I want to say, in fact, some people believe that all of these fundamentals that are listed here, there are six of them, elementary principles here, could have been learned by the Jews from the Old Testament. And so the ABCs of the Christian faith, if that's what we will call these things, we're really the ABCs of the Jewish faith, too. Shouldn't surprise us, as closely as we are connected, as closely as they are related. Maybe it's for this reason that the apostle is saying to those who he is writing to here, You've learned the basics. He's talking to a bunch of Jews. He says, You've already learned these things well enough. It's time to move on, basically. The believers in Jerusalem urgently needed to go on from the foundations that they learned from Judaism to Christian maturity. All believers know that they must repent of their sins. We're just going to take these. We studied a couple, uh, three of them, I believe, last week, four of them maybe. We're just going to touch on them a moment to remind ourselves. All Christians know that they must repent of their sins in order to be to be forgiven and to restored, we all know that sin separates us from our God, as isaiah says fifty nine two your but your sins have separated between you and your God, such that he does not hear your prayers. That's serious business, isn't it? And so we all know that we must repent, remember what what's of of our sins remember what sin is you take our the sermon helps there, and you'll be Seeing the first thing is 1 John 3, 4, remember what it says, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. It's lawless, breaking God's laws, okay? And all believers in Jesus Christ know that they must also repent, not only of the lawless things that we have done, but they also must repent of those things that maybe they've been doing thinking that they were that's how they were to walk with God and yet they have come to understand that those things were empty and worthless and they must repent of those things that they once thought philosophies that they must, that they once held or beliefs that they once held but they came to learn that did not lead to a life that is in fellowship with God. As, the, as it says there, it, it not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works. A lot of people did a lot of things thinking that they led to life. But then they came to hear the gospel and they understood that those things led to dead works. They were dead works. The false religions of this world. You know, Simon Kistemacher said this, the quote's there for you. He said, basically, repentance constitutes a negative action, in this case, a change of mind that results in no longer performing acts that lead to death. Repentance then is an activity that involves the mind and thinking of a person, a complete turnabout in the life of the believer. No longer does he show an interest in activities that lead to his destruction, spiritual or physical. A Christian now shuns the effects of sin that brought death. That's what we do, don't we? The Hebrews, had, who had believed in Jesus Christ and identified themselves as Christians, had to give up many of the things that they believed when they were in Judaism. There were many things. So we understand what repentance is. Our Shorter Catechism gives us that great definition. Will you read it with me? What is repentance unto life? Repentance unto life is a saving grace, whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin, an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, doth with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God, with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. So we know what repentance is. Then the apostle identifies the next elementary principle of Christianity or even of of Judaism, and that is faith towards God. Okay, I remind you of what saving faith is from our catechism again. So let's go back to our catechism. What is faith in Jesus Christ? faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. And you notice both repentance and faith are saving graces. In other words, they come from God. They're gifts of God, both. And so also I, I wanted us to think about how the Heidelberg Catechism answers the question what is true faith because it adds a it, it kind of gives, gives a little different twist to it what is true faith there true faith is not only a sure knowledge by which i hold as true all that god has revealed to us in scripture it is also a wholehearted trust which the holy spirit creates in me by the gospel that God has freely granted, not only to others, but to me also, forgiveness of sin, eternal righteousness, and salvation. These are gifts of sheer grace, granted solely by Christ's merits. So I think that's a very helpful definition, don't you all, of what we, of faith is? And so we see these things, my friends, and let us remember what Hebrews eleven six says about faith. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So it's a good idea to know what faith is, isn't it? <laughs> is because without faith, no one can come to him. So we learn here that faith is a gift that God gives us. It is the gift, as the Heidelberg put it, that the Holy Spirit creates in us by the gospel. I love that. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, right? As Romans 1 verse 17 or 18, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. And as, as it said, the Holy Spirit creates In us it's a gift that the Holy Spirit creates in us by the gospel that God has freely granted and by faith beloved we believe all that God has revealed to us in the Bible and we believe his covenant promises and we trust in God's plan of salvation which is for us to put our faith in his son Jesus Christ and then he goes on in verse 2 In verse 2, he goes here, not laying uh, the elementary, leaving the elementary teachings about Christ. And in verse 2, of instructions about washings. Now, last week, we spent a lot of our time on this point. The Hebrews who had come into the Christian faith, here is what I want us to think about. The Hebrews who had come into the Christian faith out of Judaism could no longer practice all those ceremonial washings that Judaism had taught them and look at them as having a spiritual significance. They had to move on from those Jewish laws which required them to ceremonially wash away. Basically, the idea was to wash away the filth and pollution of sins or of the world, the Gentile world. they went out into the Gentile world. They had to, to do a ceremonial washing to cleanse them from that connect, or that contact with the world. No, they could no longer look at the different rules for washing that the Jews, that Judaism taught them as that which cleansed them from sin and sinful things. No, the Jews believed that as long as they practiced all those outward ceremonial washings of their Judaism, then they were cleansed from the pollution of sin. Well, they had to realize that that doesn't hold any water anymore. They had to stop trusting in all that kind of stuff, and instead they had to put their trust in Jesus Christ and trust that he was the one who could wash away the pollution of sin. They needed Christ. He's showing them why they need Jesus so that they won't give up on Jesus. Go back to Judaism. You need Jesus because he's the one who washes away the pollution of your sin. And then they had to look to their baptism as Christ's sign and seal that their sins had been washed away. That's what our baptism does for us, isn't it? It is God's sign and seal that our sins have been washed away. Beloved, we have been cleansed by the blood of Christ, and our baptism is God's sign and seal so that we understand that this is so. You see? So now those believers had to trust in the Christian baptism that Paul spoke of in Ephesians. Look at your sermon helps there with me. At Ephesians, in Ephesians four verse five, he said, "There is one body, one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism." These believers had to trust in that Christian baptism, that one baptism, for the sign, the picture of their sins being washed away, and now they could look to their baptism as God's covenant sign and seal that they had put on Christ because look what it says in Galatians 3:27 for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ I want you to remember that when you think about your baptism it can be it should be a picture to you that you were clothed in Christ and then my friends also they could look to their baptism And they could realize that by their baptism, it taught them that they had been added to the body of Christ. Because look what it says in 1 Corinthians. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Our baptism is a picture to us that we have been Our sins have been washed away. It's a picture to us that, indeed, we have put on Christ and that we are part of the body of Christ. You see? And think about this. Now these Hebrews had to put their trust in the baptism that Jesus commanded, which was done with water and in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Did you ever think about this? For a Jew to receive the Christian baptism where a minister or a a pastor, an apostle maybe, baptized them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, for them to receive that Christian baptism, he or she was confessing that they believed that Jesus Christ was God. Think about this. When they received the Christian baptism, they confessed that there was one God and he is in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. See, when we have that formula for our baptism, we are in essence saying, I believe that Jesus is God. That was a big deal for the Jews. That was a big step. Had you have been a Jew... If you were baptized then that said that you believed that Jesus was God that there is one God and he is Father and Son and Holy Spirit and you were baptized into that name that was pretty exciting for me to think about the fourth element that the Hebrew Christians needed to move on from was the laying on of hands now This was another outward thing that the Jews trusted in for both receiving God's blessing and then transferring their sins to the sacrifice that would die for their sins. They laid their hands on that sacrificed animal. Remember? In Judaism, though, when a priest prayed for a person, they laid their hands on them. And this was symbolically communicating God's blessing with coming through the priest to this person symbolically saying that that was the case and then also remember that the Jews laid their hands on that sacrifice that they were going to offer up to God to convey their sins upon it before it was offered up to God. These were Jewish beliefs that now he is saying you need to move on from these things. Now Jesus Christ is our priest and our our high priest, our only priest, he is the one who blesses us. He is the one who bestows upon us all of the blessings that God has for us when we go to him by faith. And this we can do any time, any place. We don't need for God's blessing to be pronounced upon us. We don't need a man to stand there and put his hand on us. And, and then God's grace is communicated to us. No, we can go to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our priest. And we, can, and we can go to him by faith. And he is the one who bestows that blessing on us. And, beloved, when Jesus died on the cross, he died for all of our sins. So we no longer depend on the laying on of our hands for God's blessing. No, Christ died for our sins, every one of them. Now, the fifth elementary principle, again, of both Judaism and Christianity. I'm hoping you're kind of getting that connection. These are both Judaism and Christianity. The fifth one that he mentions here is the resurrection of the dead. Again, in verse 2, of the instruction about washing and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead here. Here. Now, what exactly is the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead? Well, it is the doctrine that teaches us that our dead bodies, when they have died, when we've died and we've been buried in the tomb, uh, are going to be raised up from the grave or from the ashes, if they've been burned with fire, or from whatever, wherever our bodies return to the dust of the earth. I think of some of the early church fathers trying to answer the question, what happens if a man is, is swimming in the ocean and his arm is eaten by the shark and, uh, or a big fish or something? And, and how is that going to be restored back to him? So this is why I say the doctrine of the resurrection teaches us that our dead bodies, from wherever our bodies return to the dust. Are going to be raised up again, and our bodies are going to be then reunited with our soul, because right now we are in body and soul together. But when this body, when we die, thankfully our soul goes to be with the Lord in glory. But our body remains still united to Christ here somewhere on the earth. The Catechism says, in the grave. Okay, our body still remains united to Christ. It's the body is precious still to the Lord. The soul's with the Lord already, and so it is that our dead bodies will be reunited to our souls to be eternal companions together for all eternity. It's a nice thought, isn't it? And the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead also includes the teaching that our bodies and our souls that have been ra- risen up for all eternity will remain in that state that they were towards God when they died in other words, if you are a believer when you died you're going to be with God in his heaven when you, if you are with the Lord in fellowship with God when you are alive you will be in fellowship with him in heaven for forever but if you were not in fellowship with God when you died then you will not if you are not saved look what it says here in in John five twenty eight. never trust anything I say this is why I use all these sermon helps because I want you to see I didn't make that up okay look what it says in John five twenty eight. do not marvel at this For an hour is coming in which all who are in the tomb shall hear his voice and shall come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. It's all determined here in this world, you see, where you're going to spend eternity. Think with me of Daniel 12, too. The Old Testament told people the same truth. Look, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life. He's talking to the believers. These to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. In the Old Testament times, the doctrine of the resurrection was known. It's in the the Old Testament that we're going to be raised up and let me show you some examples of that. Look at, look at Psalms 16. For thou wilt not abandon my soul to Sheol, neither will thou allow thy Holy One to undergo decay. There's the concept of the resurrection, isn't it? Look at Isaiah. Your dead will live. Your corpses will rise. You will lie in the dust. Awake and shout for joy. For your dew is, on, is as the dew of the dawn and the earth will give birth to the departed spirits that's the resurrection isn't it and then in ezekiel and i didn't um, have bill go ahead and read that ezekiel the full passage this morning because of time but here in that passage that talks about the raising up of those dead bones you remember the story the the bones that are raised up ezekiel is to command the bones and to give speak life into them And in verse 10, it says, So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. There's a picture of the resurrection, beloved. So the resurrection was not a foreign doctrine to the Jews. Remember, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection, but the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. And we know this, Jesus definitely taught the doctrine of the resurrection, beloved. He claimed it for himself when he said in John 14, I am the resurrection and the life. He who comes to me, help me. No one goes to the Father except through me. Right, right. I had a little whatever I'd call it there. Senior moment. Hey, I'm getting to that point where I can say that now. And then, beloved, Jesus taught the resurrection, and then his apostles made the resurrection of Jesus the foundation of the gospel. The resurrection is so important to the gospel. Look with me at some examples here in Acts. It is therefore necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out from among us, Beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these should become a witness with us of the resurrection. The apostles made the resurrection a foundation of the gospel, you see. And then in Acts 2, where Peter is speaking, he says, This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. He's talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. And in Acts 5.20, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging on a cross. And there's more, there's more. Jesus' apostles made this the foundation of the gospel because Jesus taught his disciples about the resurrection. First of all, he taught them how he himself would be raised up before he was even raised up. Look with me at Matthew 17. Now, I don't have that on your sermon helps you. If you want, you can just listen. But if you want, you can turn to Matthew 17 and in verse 22. Here's what we read. And while they, Jesus and his disciples, were gathered together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised up on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. Jesus taught them about the resurrection before it happened, and then he promised them that they too would be raised up. You know where I would go for for that? We won't right now, but John 14. I am going there to you know, prepare a place for you, and if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will raise you up again. John 14, right? And then, beloved, remember Jesus' parable about the wheat and the tares. In that parable, Jesus taught that the seeds of the wheat and the seeds of the the weeds are both going to grow in this world together until the day of the harvest. And on that day, the weeds will be separated from the wheat and the the weeds will be cast into the fire. But Jesus said, and I do have this for you, Matthew 13, 43, on your sermon helps then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father that's the resurrection isn't it the righteous will shine forth isn't that fun to think about what it's going to be like when we are shining forth as the sun in the kingdom of the father Because the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead is so frequent in the New Testament, it was one of those elementary articles of the Christian faith, just a basic article. It is the reason for all of our hopes, isn't it? We're going to be raised up from the dead, you know? The whole Christian doctrine and faith, you know what, the whole Christian doctrine Does It prepares us for a future state of being with God for all of eternity. And the first thing that the Christian faith does, it it assures us that there is a future state. The Christian doctrine takes away any question. There is a future state. And then it tells us what it is. And then it tells us how we can enter into it. All you need to know, right? The future state that it assures us of and prepares us for is being in the blessed presence of Almighty God for all of eternity, singing His praises, just like we practice every Lord's Day, right? (laughs) We come and we do it together. We practice here for that day in glory. It was interesting for me to learn that belief in the resurrection is a unique doctrine of Christianity. When you think about all the other false religions that are in the world, the resurrection is unique. No other system of religion professes that this will be the case, that the dead will be raised up, you know? If you're a Hindu, you would be taught that you would come back as maybe a cow or something else foolishness. The Christian faith talks about the resurrection beloved. And Christians can and do believe this because we have a risen Savior. Our Savior Jesus Christ was raised up from the dead and his resurrection assures us that there is a resurrection awaiting us if we are in Christ. That's what it does. One of those uh, conf- uh, one of those um, catechism questions that we were reading to begin our service with spoke of that. It assures us Christ's resurrection, that he was raised up from the grave, is the guarantee that we are going to be raised up if we are in Christ. The apostle Paul speaks in detail about the resurrection of the dead in his first letter to the Corinthians. I would like for you to turn with me to Corinthians for a moment to 1st Corinthians, chapter 15. And let's look and see what we learn about the resurrection here. In 1st Corinthians, chapter 15 and verse 12. And it says this, Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, Not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is vain. Wouldn't that be the case? If Christ was not raised for the grave, and if there was no resurrection for us, then what are we here for? It would be in vain, as it says. And then he goes on in verse 15, moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if, in fact, the dead are not raised. Of course, the case is the dead are raised, so you have to understand what he's saying there. So then he says, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. Then those, who, those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. That's the second ramification. You are still dead in your sins if there's no resurrection, and those who have perished, they are going to remain as dead too. Verse 19, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now, verse 20, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, after those that those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And then he gives us the, the, the great understanding of the resurrection a little bit more, beginning in verse 35, look there. But someone will say, How are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? You fool, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow sow the body, which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body just as he wishes, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men and another flesh of beasts and another flesh of birds and another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from stars in glory so also is the resurrection of the dead it is sown a perishable body this is where it really gets good listen it is raised an imperishable body it is sown in dishonor it is raised in glory it is sown in weakness it is raised in power it is sown a natural body it is raised a spiritual body if there is a natural body there is also a spiritual body So also it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthly. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthly, so also are those who are earthly. And as is the heavenly, so also those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Well, beloved, again, for Christians, the resurrection of the dead is guaranteed by the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus. And I think it is the case that the apostle wanted to make sure that the Hebrews in the church understood He wanted the Hebrews to understand that only through Jesus would they be raised up from the dead and then judged by him for their good deeds and then been allowed to enter into heaven. It's only by Jesus. And this is what every man today has to understand. It's only because we are in Christ, we are baptized into Christ, we have put on Christ as we read that scripture, that we will be able to enter God's heaven. That's the only way, beloved. And listen, the resurrection of the dead involves not only the righteous, but also the evil. You know, therefore the apostles' message was that for those Jews, for the Jews who would not believe in Jesus Christ as as their Savior, and if those Jews who had professed their faith, then gave up their faith and apostatized, then here's what he is saying to them. You will still be raised up from the dead, but you will have to give an account for all the evil deeds and evil works that you have done. Listen to what Paul said in Acts 24, verse 15. He said there in Acts 24:15, but this I admit to you, and, and let me give a little explanation here. Paul was being tried by the governor Felix. Okay, he's standing before Felix for his Christian faith, and he is testifying to his own faith as well as what the Jews actually, the Jews actually believe this too. And he said, now in in verse in Acts 24:14, but this I admit to you that according to the way which they call a sect. I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets, having a hope in God which these men cherish themselves, that there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. This is something that the, the wicked don't quite count on, isn't it? That they're going to have to stand before God someday but there is going to be a resurrection of both. What does he say there? The righteous and the wicked. And so, my friends, it is every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And so he is warning them here to not apostatize from the Christian faith. Well, we're not gonna cover the last one. As you can imagine, what is the last one? It is the last judgment. And we're not going to be able to cover that very quickly. So, beloved, we're going to end with that today. But isn't it good to be reminded of these elementary things? Boy, there's so much to learn about just the elementary things. But to be reminded of them, you know, I think is, uh, is vital for us of what repentance is, of what faith is, of what our baptism helps us understand, and of the resurrection of the dead. So let us be thankful to God for these basic elementary things that someday we're going to move on from. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all that we can learn so that we have great understanding and our faith is in real things that you have made known to us Uh, lord we we are not able to be accused of credulity which is just believing something that has no merit no reason for believing it but what we believe lord has all the understanding all the revelation that you have given to us. Thank you for what we've learned today about the resurrection. Help us to put our faith in that and our hope in that, to rejoice in it, and Lord, to help others also to come to Christ so that they will, in that resurrection, be raised up to glory, not to judgment. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.